welcome everybody. We have a new patron this week. <gasps> Who is it? Lauren B. Lauren Hi, B. Lauren. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. And this is also like a really good opportunity because this is coming out the first week in Women's History Month. Yes. Reminder, make sure your address is up to date mm -hmm. in our mm -hmm. patron because I send things. And if your address isn't there, I usually like put a little star and I'm like, I'll get back to it. And then yeah. I never get back to it. <laughs> so really, it needs to be there if you want our special presence. Yes. So. And if you can't figure it out on Patreon, email it to me. Yeah. Because then I just put it in the notes. Perfect. Uh, well, that's so great. And I want to thank Maureen Erica for leaving an amazing review on Apple Podcasts for us. So oh, nice. it's so exciting. We love seeing those. They're and just like, like she's a longtime listener too. Yes. And it's just like fun seeing like tangible things out in the world that say people like us. So yes. <laughs> thank you for the dopamine. So thank you. That was great, especially on uh during our first uh, bout of fake spring in Baltimore. <laughs> uh, yesterday we had sixty-eight degree weather. And today it's like thirty. It's thirty and rainy. <laughs> and we're so sad. That's okay. But it's okay because real spring is coming, people. So get ready. <laughs> um, but we're not here to talk about the weather. Mm -hmm. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking alcohol the entire time. <laughs> and we aren't historians. And sometimes we're eating the entire time, too. Yes, we are. We had cinnamon buns a few weeks ago, yeah. and they were delicious. <laughs> we're having some beef jerky later tonight. And celery. <laughs> and celery. <laughs> Things are getting really wild around here. Yes. Um, but you... You're busy. You're Googling what is Russia yes. <laughs> right now. Yeah, that is another thing that is not making me feel good Explain today. Explain the Cold War. Um, so, yeah, you're Googling that. You're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Um, so you don't have the mental capacity to Google <laughs> or, or emotional capacity to Google what these women look like. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, I know who you're doing I know. Uh, based on your cocktail, but what does she look like? This is the second time this season <laughs> that it's been kind of unfair because I go first on these two weeks and I they've know. been really recognizable cocktails. <laughs> so my person had red hair, blue eyes, and ruddy cheeks, just <laughs> like her father. She was considered a beauty as a child, but became a little bit more like ashy as she grew mm. older. Definitely had a five finger forehead, mm. had her hair parted in the middle. Um, it seems like as she aged, her features became more defined, but I think it was just a different portrait artist yeah. mm -hmm. because the early portraits of her look exactly like her step siblings and mm -hmm. stepmothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and other than that, we might not be able to immediately recognize her in a portrait, but you would really recognize her if you saw her in a mirror. <laughs> what am I doing? Pretty good. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. <laughs> and we have Bloody Marys, which is such yes. a recognizable cocktail. Ugh, so I'm so excited. I love a Bloody Mary. Interesting. I'm okay on Bloody really? Marys. Because like as a child, I thought V8 was the grossest thing. <laughs> and it like still turns me off to it. <laughs> oh, no. I love them. Okay. So what does your person look like? Do I have any chance of guessing? Probably not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. My person is a Mongolian 
Korean woman from the 1200s. Definitely not. <laughs> who is described as being just as beautiful as she was strong. She would have been very tall, very muscular. Some, <laughs> meaning Marco Polo, uh, even described her as a giantess. She probably would have had very high cheekbones with very rosy cheeks um, and long, wavy black hair braided into intricate sturdy braids so as she rode her horse into battle she wouldn't get any hair whipping in her face Hmm. Uh, even though she was a princess she would not be dressed in the traditional mongolian royal clothing she would probably be dressed in loose pants with tall boots with pointed toes and definitely some fur in the cold mongolian winter this is princess kuryun no idea who that is. That's exciting. I feel yeah. like we haven't done a lot of people from Mongolia. I don't know if we've ever done anyone yeah, we've from We've done there. some people like, who've interacted with yes. the Mongolian like empire, yes. but mm-hmm. never like specifically. Yeah, so I'm excited because it's a very interesting region. Oh, good, 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 good. Um, so do you want to know what you're drinking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I didn't even come up with a name because it Perfect. literally is a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Like there's nothing you can do about that. And I just bought Bloody Mary mix. Oh, I love <laughs> and then that. put vodka in it. Perfect. Because it's just so easy. It's easier than getting like, okay, I need horseradish and sauce and whatever you put in it. But um, anyway, this is Bloody Mary mix. It's Maryland Bloody Mary mix, mm-hmm. which is the Old Bay one. So like, I'm going to have to mail Miss Krista a packet of Old Bay oh, so my gosh, she can totally use it for our cocktails because she makes them every week, you know? Yeah. So this is Old Bay bloody mary mix and then i put old bay on the rim and there is vodka in it and it's two to one you know two Mm -hmm. tomato juice one vodka and then a traditional stick of celery even though sometimes there's other things in bloody mary's i was just going (laughs) perfect all right cheers cheers. Mm. It's just classic. It tastes like I'm golfing. Mm. I also... <laughs> I love Bloody Marys. I specifically love Old Bay Bloody Marys. Like, if it doesn't have Old Bay, I'm going to be honest, I'm not quite as interested yeah. in it. Because <laughs> I think it's, like, just the perfect flavor in this tomato-y drink. Yeah. Um, I also always... I grew up uh, kind of dreaming about Bloody Marys because Karen Walker drank them all the time on <laughs> Will and Grace. <laughs> Um, and I just always fantasize about drinking them. So now I can, and they're delicious. <laughs> what a normal thing to say. I know. Katie, I know. <laughs> um, what do you know about Bloody Mary? Mary Tudor. I should start Mary calling her Tudor. by her name. Yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. know about Mary Tudor? Or so, Mary the First? I believe she was Anne Boleyn's daughter. Is that right? Or is she um, Catherine's daughter? Okay, Catherine's daughter. I get them mixed up who their offspring was because that it's like a whole story in itself. Right. Um, and I'm pretty sure, was she the one? <laughs> I get them confused because it's Mary Tudor and mm-hmm. Mary Queen of Scots. And they're different. different. And then Elizabeth I is the one that's right. Anne Boleyn's daughter. So, yeah, right. they're very so, different. Um, but, yeah, all I know is that, like, I think she got her name because she, like, killed a bunch of like Christians or mm-hmm. something in her country, uh, and that she had this rivalry. Wait, wait, are Bloody Mary and Mary Queen of Scots different? Yes, it's Mary Tudor the first. <laughs> Mary Queen of Scots is different. Okay, than Mary the first. Okay, then I get all three of them confused with yeah, one another. It is. It's like <laughs> that. That history is like really hard to handle. Now, is she this Bloody Mary the one 
or is this Mary Queen of Scots that's always pictured with like the crazy hair and like the white white makeup? No, I think that's Elizabeth. Oh, it's Elizabeth. I think she's like the Virgin Queen. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay, you're right. You're yeah. right. Okay, never mind. Perfect. Then, uh, really, I don't know much <laughs> about Mary Tudor, um, except for that. Yeah, she was Catherine's daughter, and there's uh, some struggling with the with Papa Bear, Theron and Papa. <laughs> Yeah, didn't have the easiest life for dad. No. Um. So before I get into Mary Tudor, I just want to do the pop culture things that we relate to, quote, Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Bloody Mary in the mirror, and then Bloody Mary the cocktail, and very quickly the nursery rhyme, because it just will make it easier if we get all the fun stuff out of the way. The nursery rhyme? Yeah, Um. Mary Mary Quite Contrary, How Does Your Garden <gasps> Grow? It's no. about her, <gasps> because... She was ardently Catholic as opposed to her father who switched to being Protestant just to divorce her mom. Right. So her dad and her two step-siblings that were also kings and queens at one point were super Protestant. So she was being contrary (gasps) for not converting. And what is it? Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How How does your your garden garden grow? grow? And then there's silver bells bells and and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. I want to say sometimes I, I mix it up and I'm like with, Pups and dogs and puppy dog. There's sna- that's snakes that's and snails and puppy dog wait, tails. That's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the boys are. Um, what are little girls made of? Sugar and spice and everything nice. What yeah. are little boys made of? Pig, snakes Sna- and snails. Snakes, snails, snails and snails. puppy dog puppy. tails. <laughs> Whatever. Gross. <laughs> oh. Ooh, no wonder they have cooties. Um, okay, so yes, that nursery rhymes about Mary. Then the Mary in the Mirror is a folklore where you see a phantom in the mirror if you chant her name repeatedly, usually a specific number of times, like 3 or 13. Most people who witness a Bloody Mary are in, like, group play, like a sleepover Mm -hmm. or a ritual. Um, Originally, women would do it walking backwards up the stairs at night holding a hand mirror and you would see if you did that, you would see your future husband. But if you saw a skull, it meant you were going to die before you got married. Oh, shit. So that's where like the little girls doing it in the mirror okay. uh, came about. But over time, it was adopted by different cultures because huh. if in the dark you stare into a mirror for a long period of time, you start to hallucinate like things get bendy and like turn because your brain has a hard time mirroring things back to yeah. you. Um, but Bloody Mary from that is usually attributed to Mary Tudor, but it's sometimes contributed to a victim of Elizabeth Bathory, who we've covered. Mm. It's sometimes contributed to a victim of the Salem Witch Trials, which Which we've we've covered. covered. (laughs) And it's sometimes (laughs) contributed to women who were escaping on the Underground Railroad, which we've covered. Okay. So go listen to those episodes. Yeah, yeah. Mary Bloody Mary the cocktail is usually accredited to a young bartender in Paris in the 1920s, which is interesting because France and England have yeah. that like, very at odds relationship. It's consumed differently around the world, sometimes mild, medium, or spicy. In many versions, the drink has bacon or shrimp, but I've stuck to the uh, celery today. 
And in the United States, it is usually consumed as a morning hangover cure. Most people attribute this to Mary Tudor, but some people say it was named after a waitress in Chicago. And some people <laughs> what say... What was she doing? Who knows? <laughs> I, think, she's so I think she said it looked like a bucket of blood oh, when okay. she was serving like the tomato vodka cocktail. Okay. And then some people say it was attributed to a star in Hollywood that drank them all the time. There we go. So there's our <laughs> little pop culture history on Bloody Mary before we get started. I love that. And I also... I also have very clear memories of doing Bloody Mary in the bathroom at, mirror. at my high school. Actually, mine was all in the ba- high school bathroom. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's like hard to do at a religious school, right? Oh, the bathrooms were small. Mm. Um, and it was always the one by the gym okay. um, because we didn't have locker rooms. So we would just change in the very small bathroom <laughs> altogether and get this. Actually, there was a point. <laughs> speaking of last week's Patreon, we're talking, telling high school stories. <laughs> there was a time period when then we had too many girls in our class and we couldn't fit in the bathroom. Oh no, I'm sorry. We were having gym with another class, and so there were too many girls, and so all the boys just changed on the high school auditorium stage behind the curtain. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is weird. I mean, <laughs> I feel like there should be facilities in a high school yes, where people can change. There should be. It was supposed to be in our school basement, um, but then they just made that storage and never put like there were pipes in it for showers and locker oh, wow. rooms. Um, but never yeah, happened. instead the principal just like put a trash can down there and put a Great. boa constrictor in it, and then it got loose. It was my absolute worst nightmare. Also, remember having to like run miles in in like. PE class and then just having to like go to second period. <laughs> we did not do that. Oh. <laughs> I remember being like so sweaty and having to sit through the rest of the day. Why did they do that to people? No, ours That's were just disgusting. playing games. Okay. Um, and then for a little while, we, the only person who ever made us run for a while was um, <laughs> this woman who was subbing for the gym teacher because something happened and she was the receptionist. <laughs> so she didn't know what to do. Run. So she just had us run in circles. Run, Anyways, <laughs> we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> Personal corner. Um, okay. Are we ready for her actual story? Yes, I okay. am. Mary was born on February 18, 1516 at Greenwich Palace outside of London. She was the only child of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon because Catherine, whose story we covered way back towards the beginning Mm -hmm. of our podcast, Katie did, um, suffered multiple miscarriages and stillborns and even the death of an infant son. Her birth though, was seen as, like, promise that a boy was possible. Yeah. So Henry is super excited. But as life went on, her life became really, really important, because, especially because in secession to the throne, there had never been a girl mm-hmm. that had taken over. At one point during the 1100s, King Henry I named his daughter Matilda as the heir to the throne, but... Following his death, there was, like, a war over succession, and most people were just like, we don't want that to happen again. Yeah. So even the people who did think women were capable of ruling didn't want to deal with the fact that other people didn't. Right. It's more of, like, how you're perceived by other countries at some point. Right. You know? It's like, (laughs) our other, is France going to respect us if we have a female ruler? Right. So the fact that she was the only royal child was problematic for that reason, But then it also became, like, the most interesting thing about her Mm -hmm. because her wedding was all they could talk about in her childhood. 
Because anytime there was just a female heir, they would marry her to a royal from another country, and then they would rule together. And it would at least keep the bloodline of that royal okay. in place. Mm-hmm. This made her the most coveted bride in Europe. Oh, wow. Because, like, the balance of France and Spain and Italy was really interesting at that point. So if she married a royal from any one of those countries, they could presumably absorb England when she was the queen. Okay. So this is... uh like, everybody just has their eyes out on what she's doing. Yeah. Like, where's Mary? How old is she? Is she Does, cute? Is dad Doesn't sickly? actually matter. Yeah. How much money do they have? Because they were actually pretty wealthy because Henry's dad had done a pretty good job bringing money into the kingdom. Like, okay. fixing their economic problems. Okay. So, Henry capitalized on this by frequently using his daughter as a bargaining chip. When she was two, she was um, engaged to the Dauphine of France, but that treaty soured. Then when she was six, she was engaged to, or betrothed, to the cousin of the Holy Roman Emperor. Then when, four years later, that guy married the Isabel of Portugal, and Henry gets really pissed. So then he resumes negotiations with France First for the Dauphine, and then for the king himself. Oh. And then at some point, she's betrothed to somebody in Scotland. (laughs) This is, like, all before she's seven. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was just a chip. But Henry and Catherine really did adore her. Yeah. This is all before Henry's um, horse accident, by Mm -hmm. the way. So... He seemed determined that she would be honored and exalted and educated just like a prince would be, like the Prince of Wales. So he had Catherine supervise her early education. She got a humanist tutor who, like, was willing to teach a girl. And she was taught to (laughs) to teach a girl as if she was a boy. She was taught to speak French and Spanish as fluently as she spoke English. She was taught religion, music, and dance, and she was really talented in the arts, especially music. When she was four, she, like, played on a virginal for a French guest, which is, like, a version of a harpsichord. Like, she was very, very good. She was also taught Latin, which was not typically taught to girls because it's seen as the language of law and medicine and religion and the classics. Mm -hmm. So what Catherine was doing was preparing her for a man's job, which she might have to do. Right. With her parents treating her like this, she gained a lot of confidence and conviction that she was going to be the Queen of England. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're training her to be the Queen (laughs) of England. She's like, I'm doing all the things. I'm ready. Hello. (laughs) Henry referred to her as his little pearl in the world and lavished Mm -hmm. her with gifts and affection, especially because she looked like him. And I was listening to a podcast recently where they were talking about this article that evolutionarily, even though parents don't have favorite children... You typically love the child more that looks like you. Interesting. Because it's like passing on your genes. Oh. So you like tend to favor that kid accidentally. That's so interesting. Yeah. Huh. I'm like, trying wow. to think like what like I don't know, I can't like I feel like Zach and Jake and I look very similar. Yeah, I think so. Gosh. I don't know, but I think you guys are a pretty good mix of like both of your parents. We really like, are. Which is funny. In our household, like Eliza looks like me and yeah. Caroline looks like Jake. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. can tell the difference. Yeah. Um, 
Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because people who know my mom say I look like her, and people who know my dad say I look like him. So yeah, and I, I think too, like you have to look at younger <laughs> pictures. Like you, I think you definitely look like a younger picture of your mom. I think for so sure, too. for mm-hmm. sure. <clears throat> okay, so when she's nine. Henry named her pretty much the de facto Princess of Wales, although she never really got that title, which is vaguely confirming that she's the heir to the throne. He sends her to Wales to have her own court and household, which is what they did for the heir presumptive. Mm -hmm. And he's still hoping to have a son, so he doesn't do everything for her that he would do for a boy, but he's heavily suggesting. She... um, He's like, he's pretty torn. He's conflicted, as Henry is most of his life. Like, mm-hmm. I want people to treat her like a legitimate princess and like a royal, because if she's my only heir, then I've got to go with that. Right. But I'm also traditional enough that I want her to get married and have her own baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he spends lots of money on her. He finances her home, you know, thousands of pounds a year. She has dozens of staff and royal badges and symbols are all over her, like, manner. And she's got gold cloths on the altar. And there's a throne where she can receive, you know, dignitaries and stuff. So even though she's, like, 11, you know, Mm -hmm. she's, like, got all of this. But other historians argue this point, saying that he spent the same amount of money on his illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy. So some people are like, yeah, he definitely loves Mary and was treating her great. But also they're like, but he did that for other people, too. Mm. So less than a year after Mary is sent to Wales, Anne Boleyn, who we've also done an episode on, arrived at the court and everything changes. There's an increasing disenchantment with his wife henry falls in love with anne wants her to be the mistress but she's like i'm not gonna have sex with you unless we get married which only makes him like ravenous Uh and they have a flirty seven-year relationship this was not a quick thing all the while mary is off in wales like doing what she's supposed to do and Mm -hmm. doesn't see any perceived threat to her role in the kingdom when she's 11 her dad starts campaigning for a divorce, saying that he broke biblical law by marrying his brother's widow. Mm-hmm. Catherine was originally married to Arthur, who died supposedly before the wedding was consummated. Mm-hmm. But Henry believes, and it does say in the Bible in Leviticus, that any man should not take his brother's wife. Mm-hmm. So he believes that's why he has no male heirs. Really, it's because he's sleeping around and probably giving STDs to Catherine. Yeah. (laughs) So she cannot bear children. In 1527, he starts writing to the Pope. But the Roman emperor had Catherine's, like, nephew, like, working there and, like, as part of the crew. So they're absolutely going to refuse this. They're not going to kick Catherine out of being the queen of England. Right. Like, we have a connection here. We're not just going to give that up. This is outright. And plus, she's, like, super Catholic. Yeah. And she's super beloved by the people. All the people (laughs) love her. They love her. And they're, like, accepting of Mary as the heir. Yeah. Like, for the most part. Yeah. This is not... um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the nuance gets ripped out of the situation mm. between Henry and Catherine and Anne a lot. And there was a lot going on. Yeah. And which is why we've done episodes on both of them. And this yeah. is like the other piece to that puzzle. Yeah. We have Elizabeth first left to do after this. And we've done two other of Henry's wives that mm-hmm. we'll like stumble upon during yeah. this story. <laughs> um, okay. So... Henry spends a lot of time researching. He's also a smart, educated man. He researches religion and law and finds a loophole. 
he decides that he's going to be the head of the Church of England, kind of going along with the Protestant Reformation mm -hmm. instead of the Catholic Church. This changed Mary's life forever to the extreme. Mary's called back from Wales to the court, which is super strange mm -hmm. because, I mean, Henry's thinking, uh, if I have a son with Anne, then I have to send this son there so Mary can't be living there because oh. now it's going to be, he's going to be the Prince of Wales. Mm -hmm. This divorce definitely bastardizes his daughter, but he doesn't immediately take back her title yet. Okay. She's still kind of the princess, kind of has servants, like she's being financed. Everything's still a little bit simpler for her than it was for Catherine, who's just like yeah. exiled. The public humiliation for her mother is super hard. There are, Anne and Henry were not tactful about their relationship, so they're mm -hmm. just like, being lovey-dovey all over the castle with open intimacy. Henry convinced himself that Catherine is lying about not consummating the marriage, and he continually asked her to de denounce their marriage and say that she was never queen. Catherine refuses. Mm -hmm. Like, I, she believed that God had selected her to be the queen. Like, mm -hmm. people believe in um, monarchical, like, areas at that time. So in order to punish her, he keeps Mary and her from seeing one another until Catherine says, I wasn't the queen, which she never does. Mm -hmm. So Mary and Catherine do not see each other again. Ugh. That's so fucked it up. It is so fucked up because Ugh. Mary has literally no one now. Yeah. Not a father's affection. Her mom is gone. She doesn't have any more suitors. She's about to lose her title, which means most of her servants. Mm -hmm. Like, she was born into the lap of luxury and like it's literally the carpet is stolen out from under her from yeah. no doing of her own mm -hmm. like whatsoever. So um, most historians, though, don't deny that Henry loved Catherine and Mary. Mm -hmm. It's just he needed to pass the throne on to a male heir. Mm -hmm. And he also had a wandering eye as the king, which both of those things were common back then. Right. So, completely cut off from her mother, unsure of her fate, she's 15 years old, she begins having really irregular menstruation. And um, we're unclear what caused this. Often teenage girls have unpredictable cycles, but a lot of people say that through her life she had really bad reproductive health mm -hmm. and that could have been caused from intense stress like whenever i'm really stressed out i either get my period way early or don't get it at all right mm -hmm. so i mean i can see how that could happen to this poor girl yeah absolutely i mean her life is being turned upside down like every other day mm -hmm. <laughs> that's really stressful it is and she's a teenager you know yeah. so mary is stressed about obviously her mother and all this stuff but she's actually most stressed about the faith of the country mm. she's worried about the souls of the people in the kingdom yeah. because she is a very devout catholic like mm -hmm. her mother was so mary actually becomes the rallying symbol for the people of england in the catholic community and even the very traditional protestants who are like well he shouldn't have divorced her so people who believe that catherine was the true queen they really like Mary. People mm -hmm. who are like, well, Henry's always presented Mary as the heir. Really like Mary. Yeah. And a lot of people have a hard time accepting Anne and accepting her eventual daughter, Elizabeth, because not only is she second born to a woman who they didn't see as queen, but also she's a second born girl. Mm -hmm. So they're like, maybe if Anne had had a boy, we right. could have like switched over. But this just makes 
no sense. Right. So he apparently, Henry, did continue to show Mary affection until she refused to denounce her mother as queen. Oh. Once Mary refused, he, like, cuts her off. After Elizabeth's birth, he's like, your, your title of princess is taken away. You're going to go by Lady Mary. And she was sent to be a lady in waiting <gasps> for her baby sister. Oh. She's 17 years old and now like her baby sister's servant. I hate that. I did not know that she had to do that. That's fucked. It's really fucked. And apparently Anne Boleyn, now this is like hearsay, Mm -hmm. but Anne Boleyn instructed her maids to hit her or swear at her if she ever proclaimed herself princess in word or behavior. (sighs) So like if you're going to be in this household, you need to know that you are below Elizabeth. She's like the original Cinderella, but in a weird way. like in a a backwards-ass way. She went from princess to pulper to queen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's some kind of fairy tale. It's bananas. (laughs) It is. It's crazy. So Henry and Anne also spent, like, all this money on Elizabeth's clothing, but forbade Mary from wearing anything prettier than her sister. (laughs) So, like... That's also very, like, the king and I. You have to be lower than, like, Uh where my head is type Mm -hmm. of thing. So a lot of this is super rude. But people often, like, blame Henry for taking back Mary's household. But that wasn't abnormal. Right. Apparently, the heir would have their own household. And all the other royal siblings lived together. The only difference here is that they're step-siblings instead of actual sisters. Right. Or no, well, they're half Yes, half-sisters. Yeah, they're half-siblings. They Uh share a father. Mm -hmm. So the next three years, her and her father don't talk at all. Mm. And she can't see her mother. And Mary's physical and mental health begin to worsen. So she turns to her religious devotion to keep herself sane. Mm. That's all she has. There are lots and lots of political and religious stuff going on in England. But pretty much the English parliament is like, fine. And the queen... Catholicism is wrong. Any act against it is treason and punishable by death. Blah, 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 blah. They're just like, whatever you want, Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the funds that were going to the Catholic Church now go straight to Henry's pocket because he's the head of the church now mm-hmm. as well as the king. And he is executing close friends and mentors who are Catholic. Mm -hmm. And Mary's fearful that her own dad is going to act against her. Yeah. And then Catherine dies presumably of cancer, they Mm -hmm. think, because her health had been declining for years. And Henry refuses to let Mary attend her funeral. That's so messed up. So she's devastated. She's in the world alone. She considers fleeing the country. And we actually have a letter that she wrote to her cousin about this. But a few months later, the tides are going to turn because her stepmom is accused of adultery. (laughs) Now, we know that Anne Boleyn did not cheat on Henry. This is a false accusation. Um, But after this happens, she writes to her father for reconciliation because Mary's like, okay, I'm going to blame Anne for everything that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not my dad's fault. He totally, like, beguiled him. But he's like... I am not going to let you come back here until you say your mom's not queen. Oh, my God. And and her mother's dead. So Mary's like, you know what? I will go and live and work for Jane Seymour. Like, she likes Jane Seymour, like a new wife. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mary finally is like, okay, you know what? He's even killing, like, some of his closest friends. 
I'm really worried about this, sends me the oath, and she signs it without reading <sighs> it. Doesn't even read it. She's just like, fuck this. I don't need to know what it says. I'm going to sign it. And then she actually uh, works on her dad's court for the <laughs> remainder of his life. Wow. She, like, stays within the castle. So now she's got this. She's back. She's got this um, splendid arrangement because when Anne died and Catherine died and now he's getting married again, a lot of people started to revolt because they wanted Mary back. Mm -hmm. So as soon as she signed that oath, a lot of the rebellion was kind of squalled in the country. And Henry's like, okay, great. You can hang out. So she's given splendid arrangements in the castle. She has servants back. She's got three other places in the country, which were actually taken from Elizabeth because her mom now committed treason. Right. So now Elizabeth is going through what Mary went through. Uh -huh. And Elizabeth's like five years old. So that's, <sighs> that's terrible. Um, but Mary had this wonderful relationship with Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour is credited with softening Henry's heart back to Mary. The relationship between Mary and Elizabeth started to change too. They didn't really have a chance for sisterly love before because there's a 17-year age gap. Right. So now Mary's 20 and Elizabeth is 5, and she actually advocated with Jane to Henry for Elizabeth to be welcomed back to the castle as well. Oh, that's so nice. It is. So this is when they actually have a close and peaceful family life that's starting. Yeah. Oh, you know what that reminds me of? When Chelsea Clinton came and defended, was it Baron Trump? Mm -hmm. When, like, the media started reporting on him and she yeah, was like, like, do not do this. Don't fucking do that. He is a child. None of this is his fault. Right. Don't bring him into it. And you know what? I never heard anything about him after that. No. And I think that happened when Obama um, defended Sarah Palin's kids. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's like, don't talk about them. Yeah. They're don't not talk about my kids. Don't talk about her kids. Like, yep. that's it. Exactly. It just reminds me a lot of <laughs> that. Yeah. Serious hard line on that. But it is interesting that the Chelsea Clinton doing that is very, like, sibling-esque. Yeah. So... Then Jane gives birth to a boy. Ed <laughs> Edward is born. And Mary was actually really comfortable with this. She could accept being underneath of a male heir. It was yeah. hard for her with Elizabeth, but with, with Edward, she's like, okay. Okay, that's just it. That's the line of things. Right. That's what this happens. Is, this is how it works. Mm -hmm. Like, whatever. And she proudly loved him and stood in as his godmother when he was baptized. What? Bloody Mary was King Edward's godmother. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. But to everyone's terrible dismay, Jane Seymour died two weeks after bearing child mm. from childbed fever. Mary was the chief mourner at her funeral. Henry is even really broken up. He really loved Jane yeah. and really loved that she had a boy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as I said, Mary stayed in her father's court for a really long time, but she really had to stand in at this time because he didn't marry again for another two years. Yeah. He was mourning. Mm -hmm. He was very upset about this. But then his court kind of forces him to negotiate into this marriage with Anne of Cleves. Mm. <laughs> Poor and Anne. I know. <laughs> I feel so bad for her. <laughs> Anne of Cleves, um... I don't know. It's so sad. So Mary's status is really high. Her life is going good. She's back in the money. She's presumably happier. She's 23. And she's like, I can finally get married. Yeah. Um, 
And apparently she's constantly getting proposed to, but it's a weird situation because if she marries someone in England, they have to be a higher status than her, but they never know what her status is because sometimes she's she's changing. Sometimes (laughs) she's a bastard. Sometimes she's a lady. Yeah. And then it's like, if she marries somebody from another country, they're not guaranteed that she's going to be the queen. Right. So she could be ousted at any moment. And then it's like this marriage was pointless. Right. So nobody's going to waste like a high royal on that. (sighs) But then actually Anne of Cleves cousin is a duke and he falls like (gasps) head over heels for Mary. He's so into her. They actually meet and he like kisses her and gives her like a diamond um, cross pendant, which like, you know how religious she is. That's really cute. (laughs) But then Henry is like disgusted by Anne of Cleves, even though she's like so pretty in her painting yeah <laughs> i don't get it at all and he doesn't he like doesn't receive her they don't consummate the marriage and he like gets it annulled as quickly as possible which was hard for mary because she really liked and respected Anne. yeah and she really liked philip and philip really liked her so now she can't get married and Anne is gone we um, don't really know a lot about her feelings in this time, but we do know that she really, really did not like Catherine Howard, <laughs> who we also did an episode well, yeah, on. Yeah, because she's like the trophy wife. She's in the younger lineup. than Mary. Yeah, she's seventeen, and Mary's t- like twenty six or something when they get yeah. married, or twenty. Yeah, twenty six. She's literally Mary goes through every stepmom <laughs> trope that has ever been in any like rom com or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like spilling bloody Marys on myself, <laughs> literally. Um. Yeah, and it's also sad because Anne of Cleves was really close with Mary and Elizabeth and Edward. So she was like a great stepmom and for like the months that she was there and then it's gone. <laughs> well, and it's so frustrating too because it's like obviously like if like appearance is like really that bad, Henry, it's like also like you have all these women who are at your beck and like call mistresses. for your physical needs. Like yeah. what? I don't know. It's not, and, and again, he was definitely not in his right mind these yeah. years, but he's being really fucking <laughs> off the wagon. <laughs> he is. And like you said, Kate Howard is 17. Mm-hmm. This is her, his fifth wife, her fourth stepmother. And in seven years, by the way, <sighs> and they're nine years apart in age and have very different personalities. Mary is 26. She's reserved. She's dignified. She's arguably the most educated person in England and possibly the world. She is not pleased that she is still illegitimate and this 17-year-old girl that she sees as undereducated and a high-spirited juvenile bimbo (laughs) is now going to have a kid that could outrank her. She's like, this is ridiculous. So Catherine Howard complains to Henry that Mary didn't treat her seriously. And Mary's noticeably not as around in the court as much during the Kate years. Yeah, sure, I'm just going to take myself And she's like, I don't really need to be here for this. But Dad, again, is like, Kate's cheating on me, um, which she actually is this time. (laughs) This isn't the Anne Boleyn situation. And he kills her and kills his boy, Thomas Cromwell, even though I don't think she was cheating with him. I can't remember from the episode. It was a long episode. But... Now they're both dead. And Mary's like, Dad, these are honestly your friends. She doesn't get it. Which is interesting because she should hate Thomas Cromwell because he's a big Protestant and, like, had a hand in her mom being ousted. Mm -hmm. But we found a lot of letters between them, and they're actually pretty warm. 
which weakens the argument that she was like a hardline religious zealot that we usually see her as. And she had the same relationship with Anne of Cleves, which was a really strong Protestant woman as well. Mm So her father's like off with their head to everybody he sees. He is being the queen of hearts by a lot. Um, and while Henry's not married, again, Mary is the hostess of the castle, which we see that a lot with first ladies. Like if the first lady dies, the daughter takes over mm-hmm. doing like all the dinners and stuff. Mm-hmm. Then he marries his sixth and final wife, Catherine Parr. She has relationships with all of the children again and encourages a family environment It was, though, again, hard for Mary to see her as a mom because they're only three years apart, and they had known each other for several years. She was also really heavily educated, so they had, like, really good intellectual conversations. But Catherine keeps, like, publishing books and stuff about Protestantism, and Mary's like, I know you're really smart, but can you stop converting all my people (laughs) to, like, who she still sees as her people, like, stop ruining their souls. Then, oh, no, dad's dead, right? So now Henry's out of the picture. And Catherine Parr and Mary's relationship fizzles out. She goes and marries Thomas Seymour. And now, three days after her dad's death, her little brother, nine-year-old Edward. He's nine? Is the king of England. Oh, my God. She's probably like, fuck this. This is outrageous. weird rule. <laughs> like, I hate this. He's nine years old. He has a couple people working as mentors until he's 18, which means they're actually the kings or the rulers. Mm-hmm. Henry was generous to all the kids in the will, though. They all got property and money, and they're, he re-officially recognized both girls as heirs in the will. So now it goes Edward, Mary, Elizabeth. If Edward dies, Mary takes over. Mary dies, Elizabeth takes over. Mary had her own household now again, which is super rare for a single woman. And and her siblings' relationships at this point really start to falter because she wants to go and live out quietly, being her own little Catholic self, like, just leave me alone. I want to be out of this. But Henry... um, had been a Catholic in everything except for wanting to get a divorce and getting rid of the Pope. Mm -hmm. So he was very traditional. But now that Edward's ruling, the real Protestants take over. They're, like, ruling in his stead. Mm -hmm. They abolish Latin Mass. They prohibit Catholic displays. They're breaking stained glass windows all over the country. They're burning down churches. They're throwing priests in jail. Oh, my God. And Mary's, like most significant obstacle in her mind or like Edward's most significant obstacle is Mary, that she is the heir right after him, that he's not married. He doesn't have kids. And that if he dies, she's going to take back over and make everybody Catholic again, especially because she's doing Catholic mass in front of people and inviting people to it, even though he said not to. Mm -hmm. So she's just like, fuck you. I'll do what I want. She's in her 30s. Her devotion starts to get remarked upon. People are like, oh, my gosh, this is the most religious girl ever. We love her. She does mass four times a day. She's praying for hours. And Edward's like, you absolutely have to stop. 
<laughs> he invites both of his sisters to like a family reunion Christmas court. And there's this like really embarrassing moment where the 13 year old Edward like publicly chastises her and asks her to denounce Catholicism. <laughs> and she's just like, absolutely not. And makes him cry like in front of everybody. <laughs> she's like, no, you you're ridiculous. Um, and a few weeks later, he summons them back to court again, and she brings all of her people wearing really big rosaries, like, outside oh of their God. clothes. And then she's, like, writing to her cousins, and she's like, maybe I went too far. I, like, really <laughs> don't want to go to war. I don't yeah. want to get my head chopped off. I don't know what's going to happen. So she actually sets up an escape plan. Like, what should I do? Should uh -huh. I leave the country? And... Edward was actually having the ports watched so she wouldn't oh. leave. But her advisors are like, don't leave. He's young. If he dies, then Elizabeth gets to take over if you're not in the country. Right. If you are in the country, then you're next. So you need to stay here. But Edward wasn't weak and sickly like he's often portrayed. He was young and healthy and energetic, just like his father. Um, and no one had any serious expectations that he was going to die. But then he got the measles and smallpox <gasps> back to back. <laughs> Oh, my God. And his immune system is, like, torn the fuck up. <sighs> so now he's super worried about his sister taking over if he dies. So he nullifies his father's will <gasps> so that neither of his sisters have claim to the throne. And then he says the next in line is Jane Grey. Lady Jane Grey, <gasps> who's, like, their closest relative heir, who's, like, 16 years old. And he's, like, whoever she marries will be the king, and they'll be Protestant, and it'll be fine. So then, like, a good movie, he starts coughing up blood into, like, his cloth, uh -huh. his handkerchief, totally has TB, tries to bring his sisters to court again, and they pack up. They're on their way. She's like, wow, my brother must be better. We must be celebrating. And a horseman, like, goes out of the castle as fast as he can to get to Mary, and he's like, do not go. They're going to throw you in jail because he's about to die. She's like, I'm going to hightail it out of here. She goes to a castle with a fortress and, like, starts getting her people together. Like, no way. So, Edward dies. Lady Jane Eyre, or Jane Eyre, Jane Grey, <laughs> is brought to the tower, but nobody even gives a fuck that she's there. They're like, who is this girl? Yeah. We don't care about <laughs> her girl. at all. <laughs> Mary is absolutely the queen. Yeah. This makes no sense. Uh, virtually all the Catholics in the country are like, Mary's the queen. Most of the Protestants are like, Mary's the queen. Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes sense. So... Catherine and Mary, as you said earlier, were widely loved in England. So she mobilizes. She rides into London with all her people. On the way there, she meets up with Elizabeth on the road, who had gotten all her people to support <gasps> Mary. She's like, Mary's oh going to be God. the queen. Here's my people. Here's her people. We're all saying Mary's the queen. Now, some of that could have been like, if Mary dies, I'm the queen next. So we got to make right. sure that this keeps working out for me. Yeah. Um, but some of it's like, that's her only like mother figure, because Anne has been dead. Yeah. For a long time. Since she was five years old, she probably doesn't even remember Anne. Okay. So they get there. <laughs> the ruling house of Tudor takes back over. And, like, the Jane Grey faction is like, okay, get out of here. But then, actually, Mary only executes the leader of that group. And the others she just accuses of treason but doesn't kill them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Like, she, she's like, <laughs> Jane is 16. It's yeah, not her fault. It's not her I'm fault. not going to kill her yeah. yet. 
So <laughs> <laughs> she needs allies, and she liberates a whole bunch of Catholics from the tower and puts them in her court. Uh, and her dad had lost a lot of money during his, like, struggles with the economy. And her 13-year-old old brother obviously wasn't an economist, so she's like, the first thing I have to do is attack this recession. So she comes up with a two-pronged attack. We're going to deal with a budgetary rollback in key departments, and we're going to reorganize and streamline the tax system. Mm -hmm. It would take years, and she would not live to see the economy get better, but she got the ball rolling for mm -hmm. Elizabeth, who ends up being queen for a long time. Mm -hmm. She pursues the Northwest Passage and better trade routes from England. She sponsors explorations around the world and has atlases made and maps made and establishes trade with Northwest, Northwest Africa. <laughs> and these are just like a couple examples of things like she was a very universally minded queen. But she sounds like Catherine the Great. Yeah. Like, but everybody just stresses her religious shit and her dad's marital troubles. Right. Yeah. Which mm. is really sad because that she did sad. do a lot of really cool things. Yeah. So she is officially the first queen in her own right to lead in England. This is uncharted territory. So mm -hmm. she's like, I'm going to do what I think is right and find myself a husband and produce an heir. Mm -hmm. Englishmen were too low. So her cousin Charles is like, I have a son. He's the prince of Spain. He's like 25. Here's his picture. Mary's like, oh, my God, he's so hot. Send him <laughs> in. English people are so pissed uh -huh. and like 300 rebels like march towards London and they're like, get Jane back. She'll marry an Englishman. <laughs> Put Elizabeth <laughs> on the throne. And she comes out and gives like a great speech to the army in which she says, I'm your lawful crowned queen with this reign. I wedded my realm. It has never left my finger and it will never leave my finger. I am childless. So I've never known the love that a mother feels for her child, but I love you, my people as a mother loves her child. I swear to you that I never intended and never shall marry without the consent of my council, my parliament and you, my people. Wow. And they're like, all right, let's fight okay. for this girl. <laughs> Well, it's so funny how, like, people do get, like, so up in arms and so almost like, and then as soon as this person's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm I'm not, not going to do it if you don't like it. Yeah, like, exactly. And they're like, oh, okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> and Elizabeth also, like, quoted from that speech when she was queen. And we know, yeah. like, Elizabeth never married. Mm -hmm. So she was, like, very, that speech was very influential in England. Mm -hmm. um, so they trapped the rebels. They have nowhere to escape. This time, Mary's response is a little stronger. She's like, okay, now we actually have to execute Lady Jane. Like, you can't, I can't constantly have rebels trying to overthrow the kingdom. So she executes a lot of these Ugh. people for treason. Um, Elizabeth swears, she's like, I had nothing to do with this plot. I know yeah. people are yelling for me to be queen, but it wasn't me. So Mary, like, puts her in jail in the tower for a couple months and then, like, releases her to house arrest. She's okay. like, just go be, be Elizabeth somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I know you're my little sister. So here's her solution. It's the Marriage Act. It's that Philip will bear the title of king and share the throne with Mary. But England does not have to send troops to Spain in war. And he does not have the right to make any decisions without the queen's approval. And his power is limited to her lifetime. So if she dies and they don't have heirs, then he's gone. And it's Elizabeth. Right. Okay. So they finally meet and she's strongly attracted to him and looking forward to the marriage and Philip's like she's 37 and I'm not attracted to her she's oh, super no. old but I'm gonna marry her anyway because like it's the right thing to do for yeah. 
politics for Spain. Mm-hmm. So they get married two days later after <laughs> meeting. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a simple wedding. She wore a purple and gold dress and a simple mm-hmm. gold wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Little more than one month later, Mary begins to show signs of pregnancy. Wow. No menstruation. She begins to gain weight. She received a Catholic cardinal to come in and, like, bless the baby. He recites the Ave Maria, and she says she felt the baby move inside of her, which at that point, you weren't pregnant until you could feel the baby move. Right, Even if you weren't menstruating. So... Philip is signed in as king regent in case Mary dies during childbirth. Uh-huh. Six weeks before her due date, she withdraws from the court and is in confinement because people didn't like yeah. see pregnant women back then. Like you had to hide yeah. yourself or whatever. <laughs> Elizabeth, who was under house arrest, is now summoned to tend to her sister who's mm-hmm. pregnant. Pregnant women aren't supposed to be seen, but on St. George's Day, when her husband is out in the courtyard, like, receiving people and having, like, a little parade, apparently she stood in the window and people could see the profile Uh. of her. And they're like, oh! (laughs) Everybody's, like, holding their breath for, like, a little prince. That's what, you know how people are with royal babies. A baby! I like sounds like a pregnant royal. Like, it's something I've never seen before. It's like Lucille Ball on television. Like, what? Pregnant! Women are pregnant? They do that? So she has pain and cramping, and her due date comes and goes. Oh. And people are like, what is happening? It is falsely reported on April 13th that Mary had a son, and the country is, like, lighting bonfires and rejoicing. But the happiness changes when the summer grows on and on, and Mm -hmm. there is no baby what the fuck is happening so jokes begin to start around europe that mary is pregnant with a monkey or a lap dog and then rumors also start that she was seeking out women in london who had just had babies and approaching them to give up their newborn sons to her her belly began to recede and mary had to admit that it was a phantom pregnancy oh no and Philip is super sad that there's no baby boy, and she returns to court with just no announcement, no explanation, and he goes back to Spain and is just like, whatever, I'm going to travel around Europe and, like, ignore you. I saw a play one time about a woman with phantom pregnancy. It's crazy. It's really crazy. It's, like, really sad. Usually it's, like, you can convince yourself to lactate. That's usually the thing that, like, a lot of phantom pregnancy women do yeah which is crazy oh my gosh so mary's heartbroken her husband abandoned her she's embarrassed about this whole thing and she collapses into a deep depression again and thought as her father that this was a punishment because she wasn't harsh enough on the heretics of god in her country so her persecution of protestants begins the summer after the no baby situation At the beginning of her reign, she had promised to not make anybody convert back to Catholicism. She was trying to keep a really open mind. She had a couple Protestant leaders imprisoned for treason, but nothing more than that. But then the baby thing happens, and she starts to set up paperwork like she had seen her father do in years before. First, she declares, I am the female monarch. I have been chosen by God, just like all the other male monarchs have. Mm -hmm. Then she declares that her parents' marriage was legitimate. Then she rolls back any political changes that Henry made. Then she puts Catholic mass back into place. Then all the clergy have to be celibate again, and she requires the clergymen to leave their wives and or leave their positions. This satisfied most English people. They were like, great, 
Catholicism's back. Love that. But she's an extremist and wants to get pregnant, and she wants the Holy Roman Emperor back in England. Um, because then they can be like, yes, you are the legitimate heir. Yeah. So she reinstates heretic rule and began burning Protestants at the stake. Oh, my God. Which Mary would become known for above anything else in her life. This is the first in her series of mistakes. People had started to flee when she became queen, but now they really started to flee the country. And all of her cruelness is kind of propagandized by this book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's about all these Protestant martyrs of the time. Mm -hmm. And next to the Bible in that day, it's the most popularly read English book. And it illustrates in like pencil drawings, Mary as this zealot and butcher and like pencil drawings of all the people that she killed and burned at the stake. So... The former Archbishop Thomas Cranmer is put into prison right when she ascended the throne. But eventually he's like, I've seen all my friends die. I will recant that I'm Protestant. I will say I'm Catholic, whatever. Mm-hmm. She has him do it. Then she's like, you signed the paperwork, but I want you to do it publicly. So then he goes and does it publicly. And she's like, well, I'm going to burn you at the stake <gasps> anyway. And he then takes back his recanting because he's like, well, that's bullshit. Well, it's pointless then. yeah. Right. Why did, why did I recant? And then she goes to, and this is kind of a revenge kill. This is the guy absolutely responsible for her parents' divorce. Um, But what happens is, like, he goes up and is getting burnt at the stake. And it's really dramatic because he thrusts his right hand into the fire and says he wants it to burn first for his sin of signing the recanting documents. And there's this drawing of it that is, like, one of the most recognizable pictures in England. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, like, propaganda hurt her more than, like, the actual Protestantism would have hurt her. Right. Now, I do want to put the numbers in perspective. She had 280 Protestants burned at the stake as heretics. These executions are the main reason for her unfortunate nickname. And she was depicted as the most evil human of all time as a raging with madness. Now, her dad only burned 81 people at the stake, but he had ordered the death via beheading and hanging and otherwise of between 57 and 71,000 <gasps> people. Oh, my God. So she killed 281, and he killed, like, let's say, call it in the middle, 60,000, and she's Bloody Mary. Oh, my God. Edward only burned two people at the stake when he was king, but he had sanctioned a suppression of a prayer book rebellion that resulted in the death of 6,000 people. Elizabeth (sighs) becomes queen next. She only burns five people at the stake, but then ordered the execution of 800 Catholic rebels and had 183 Catholics hanged or drawn and quartered. So of those four people, she killed the least amount of people and gets the name Bloody Mary. (laughs) I also... I. I kind of feel like it sucks for, like, just general people this time because, like, everything keeps flip-flopping back and forth so much that you're like, I'm never having the right religion for what's going on in that (laughs) castle over there. (laughs) They're like, I don't know. Just tell me what to believe. Right, exactly. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I mean, most people 
actually attribute her nickname to the fact that she was the first solo queen mm. and that she's accused of being spineless and weak at the same time as being too bold and vicious. Right. So it's just because she's a woman like yeah. that people are like uncomfortable with this. Her husband's gone. She's babyless. She's murdering people. And now she has to also deal with a struggling harvest because the country is flooding. Mm. Philip comes to ask for troops to help fight in this Spanish thing. She sends some troops and they win and it's amazing and everybody's rejoicing. But then England, after celebrates, suffers like a huge blow because Calais, which was their last stronghold in like the mainland continent, Uh gets conquered by France. And Mm. this is like the final blow to Mary's reign. Mm. She announces her second pregnancy now and is supposed to give birth in March. But few people believe her claim at all like her husband's not really around she's also a lot older now yeah she's a lot older um but she doesn't want to leave like her crown to her protestant sister so she's like Mm -hmm. trying to figure out a will situation as the months wore on her abdomen did start to swell but her appetite dwindled and she lost an extreme (gasps) amount of weight most people are like girl you're not pregnant you're dying (gasps) and elizabeth started to publicly and privately shift her rule. She's accepting what's happening. So she slowly settled the estates of her father and brother who were kings before her and tried to get all of her family affairs in order. She gave lots of money to Catholic monasteries for education and masses and prayer. She had her mother's body. She wanted it exhumed so it could be buried next to her in Westminster Abbey. This was never followed along with most things in her will. Um, She was like pursued by catholic people to sign into death like her sister before she died they like drew up the papers to have her sister executed and apparently like her hand hovered over the paper but she then like refused to sign it she was like i'm not gonna kill elizabeth most people believe that she died of ovarian cancer and many of mary's phantom pregnancy symptoms show that she had probably been dying of ovarian cancer for years oh my god She died in November of 1558 at 42 years old. She was buried in Westminster Abbey with a simple black tomb inlay. But later, it became a very elegant tomb when Elizabeth was laid to rest right next to her. And she has like a huge statue. So now it says, we sisters Elizabeth and Mary here lie down to sleep in hope of the resurrection. Because neither of them like were married to a longtime lover. Which is really beautiful considering one was Protestant and one was Catholic. And together they're wishing for this same religious goal, which is the resurrection. Mm. Our overwhelming impression of her life is tragedy. Um, But, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) She she tried really hard, but just people have tried to rewrite Mary a lot to be like, look at all the good things she did, which I agree with. But in light of the 21st century, we can't take any form of genocide not seriously. Like, she hunted down and killed people for their faith, which is not okay. That's something that tyrant monarchs do. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth I's reign was next, and she's so big and mighty that people often forget that Elizabeth emerged standing on the shoulders of her sister, Mm -hmm. who fought to get her back in court, who didn't have her killed when she could have, and who was the first woman to take the throne, setting it up so that Elizabeth could have her own English history. Mm. Elizabeth's succession ended up being one of the smoothest in English history to that point, and she uh, watched her sister and decided to not do what her sister did, 
She decided not to get married and cause a ruckus, and she decided not to be a religious tyrant and let people stay Catholic. And that is the legacy of Mary Tudor, Mary, Queen Mary the First. That's insane because I always pictured her as being uh, just a really vicious person. And it just doesn't seem like she was. It sounded like uh, she, it's kind of like the crazy ex-girlfriend trope, you know? And it's like, oh man, my ex-girlfriend was crazy. It's like, well, how did you treat her? Because right. it seems like all of your ex-girlfriends are crazy, you <laughs> yeah. know? And it's like, she is the product of this horrible situation that you know right. people still talk about and make shows about today. Because yeah. it was so unstable. And, you know, and then to top it all off with, like, this awful ovarian cancer and, like, I'm just shocked she didn't do worse. Right. It was all really bad. Like, the thing she did was bad. To have as many, like, step-parents as you had that, like, and to have the dad that you had. Like, the fact that we've covered multiple people in her story already shows how bananas her life was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it just was not what I expected at all. Again, because I also get her confused with Mary, Queen of Scots. I I just (laughs) thought that she was going to be more vicious. Yeah, I did too. And she was not. Like that one stint of killing all those Protestants was her biggest thing. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, that was great. I loved this cocktail. Uh, we're going to get some less spicy cocktails going. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. All right. So we-, we are back. A uh, little behind the scenes bonanza. <laughs> We just stopped to do a book episode, so now we're two cocktails deep. We had an interview scheduled with somebody across the country, so now we're we're here. We're here. We're in Mongolia. It's going to be awesome. Again, we have beef jerky. I also had some more beef jerky in between, but it's going to be so fun. So are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. throat singing? Um, (laughs) Just kidding. I wasn't ready for throat singing, but I am ready for this episode so can you tell me what i'm drinking yes. it looks delicious and non-vegan so no it's definitely not it's funny why did i put almond milk in it i could have just used regular milk, milk. It has a giant piece of beef um so this is called moon hawk mm. uh it is vodka black iced tea almond liqueur or amaretto um, chocolate liqueur, almond milk. You shake that all <laughs> together and you garnish it with a piece of beef jerky. This is so cute. It's based off of um, Mongolian. There's a national drink. Um, it's a milk tea. They drink a lot of like um, like goat milk and things like that. And right. they like to make tea with it. So it's based oh. off of a Mongolian drink. Um, oh, cool. But Good for you. Have... Thank you. Well, I try. It's really, really delicious. Mm. Uh, I really like the taste of it. Oh, man. And I'm nice. excited about the <laughs> beef jerky yes it will be delicious um yeah that tastes lovely and i also like i was kind of thinking about too like you know we're kind of nestled in this like region that's between like russia and china and so i was thinking it kind of also reminds me of um like a white russian Mm -hmm. and you know has the black tea you know so there's a lot of like multicultural influences going on in here absolutely Um, and of course 
delicious meat. Um, so <laughs> what delicious. do you know about Princess Kuriyun? Okay, so I knew nothing about her. Okay. But I have watched the entire show Marco Polo. Yes. So I know, like, about his life. And I know that, like, Kublai Khan and, like, the Khan crew mm-hmm. were, like, a big in that area. And that's something like 60% of the world's population is, like, tied back to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. So I'm assuming that, like, maybe because she's a princess of Mongolia, she might have something to do with that family, which is very similar to the Tudors with me, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's something to do with trade routes uh, in that area. There's lots of wars with China. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm just naming facts about Mongolia. <laughs> right, yeah, this has nothing to do with uh, her. <laughs> um, I know that there's, like, silkworms. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, now we're getting crazy. You don't know. You don't know anything about her. Business. I knew nothing about her. She was a princess, and she wore yes. slacks and pointy shoes. Yes. Um. So, <laughs> I got most of this um from from the Grunt YouTube channel. Um, they Grunt. did a great series on Mongolian women and what life was like for them. Oh my god, I didn't um, even say my sources. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my head. <laughs> Biographics did a great YouTube video on her. Mm. Stuff you missed in history class. And of course, Rejected Princesses covered her. Because mm. um, obviously she's not in the Disney category quite yet. <laughs> yet. Um, yet. So Leave that to me. Kuriyun was the great great granddaughter of Genghis Khan. Told you! Uh-huh. Look at me. Uh, she is, was the princess of the Chagatai Kanate division of the Mongol Empire and the House of Ogadai. So right off the bat, there are a few different pronunciations on her name, but the one I'm using is the most common, so bear with me while I try my best with this ancient Mongolian language. Oh there are also a few names given to her, um, such as Agyarne, Ayurug, um, Kototasa, and Sagan, sorry, uh, Ayaruk, um, and a lot of her names translate into like bright moon or moonlight. So that's where the moon part in her cocktail comes from. We'll find out where the hawk comes later. Mm. Um, <laughs> now, even though this is not a podcast about men, we do have to talk for a minute about her great great grandfather because Kuriyun would not have been able to exist in all of her power if. Genghis Khan had not changed Mongolia in the way that he did. So let's see. Genghis Khan is first, and then like Kublai Khan is like his son or something, his maybe? Grandson. grandson. Yeah, so his then grandson. she's the great grand. So great great Kublai Khan will come into this story later. Oh, so we are gonna be talking about him. Okay. Um yeah, so we're gonna be getting into like I'm really happy what's I got going one on. thing right. I'm like actually fairly <laughs> impressed with myself. <laughs> Um, so when Genghis Khan started his rule in Mongolia, there were more so like groups of various separate tribes across the land who were often at war with each other. So they were fighting with each other, not really fighting with other people quite as much. Um, and that was until he quite forcefully took all of these tribes over and then pretty much took the rest of the world over. Fun. <laughs> he was truly awful for people and women from other countries. Uh, we've all heard about the raping and the pillaging and whatnot from his army. It's why you said earlier, like, they've traced genealogically, like, 60% of the world or something does have, like, his DNA present because he had like thousands of mistresses. Yeah. Thousands. It's unbelievable. Um, so he wasn't super nice to any woman abroad to his wife or any of his concubines or whatever. 
But women in Mongolia during his reign were doing all right. Women were highly valued members of society, and this could first be seen in how marriages were arranged. Uh, It was more appropriate for a man to marry an older woman because she would have more wisdom than him and be able to help him make better decisions throughout his life and not fuck up his whole life. So there was a strategy. They're like, marry an older woman because because you're a dumb idiot right now. Um, (laughs) And if the husband didn't listen to his wife, it was seen as a huge sign of disrespect, and people in the community would lose respect for a man who didn't listen to his wife. This should be called cougar dominance. (laughs) Cougar dominance clause, Exactly. Um, And it was seen as like a really big sign of immaturity. They'd be like, wow, that guy's a loser. He doesn't even listen to his wife. (laughs) (laughs) I wish wish that was still the case. Um, (laughs) But also, didn't they like not bind feet in Mongolia? They really did not. And they thought that it was like barbaric that women in China were being forced to do that. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Like, like, and it does seem that like one of the kind of, um, videos kind of alluded to the that fact that like they were so upset with how women were subjugated in china that they were like we are doing things in the complete opposite well i had like a mental breakdown when we i was watching marco polo and like that fun little energetic princess at like nine years old and they like started breaking her feet and like very upsetting the mongol empire was like this is absurd like we don't do this here no 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 no. um because even though they were like in their own right terrible oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. i was Mm -hmm. just like feet binding like really strikes me the wrong way oh absolutely um but women in mongolia also had more rights when it came to being satisfied in the bedroom Uh if her husband was not performing his duties properly she could find another man to satisfy her so there was a lot of uh polygamy yeah (laughs) there was a lot of polygamy like men had multiple wives and things like that but then women could also take lovers if they were not being satisfied because obviously there's only one husband it's not like he's satisfying every woman every night and if you're marrying a younger man Uh he doesn't know his way around the place exactly um and sometimes it was even court ordered like this woman went to court and was like get me a fucking soldier a young hunky soldier and they awarded it to her this guy was taken out of the army and given to this woman just for sex oh my god so (laughs) and women were in charge of just so many things you know they're in charge of like setting up the camps whenever they moved because they are a nomadic people right and when if it was like a multiple wives situation like each wife got her own hut her and her children would live there but like they would all get along like very like sister wife situation but not contentious at all because again they could also have relationships with other men so like right, there there's wasn't... not a jealousy factor in no. the same way Mm-mm. Um, And it wasn't just relationships where women were equal. They were equal in greater society. They were trained from a young age to be very skilled horse riders, archers, and they could even join the military if they wanted. Uh, In fact, there was a cultural expectation of women that they were to be strong and fierce and fend for themselves and their children if need be. And they were actually really essential in the Mongolian military because since they were typically lighter on their horses, they could ride faster than many of the men while also doing all of the weapon-wielding things that they could do, which is really cool. And then there is this document that apparently Genghis Khan penned that laid out the laws for women, and it's called the Yasa. 
Um, it forbade the kidnapping of wives. It forbade selling women into slavery, also forcing children into war. And it forbade discrimination against other religions. Like, this document is so forward-thinking. It's insane. Um, and of- it's so funny because we, like, exalt so many documents. Mm-hmm. Like, the Magna Carta for, like, things like that for being signed. Where it's like, oh, the king gave away, like, a little bit of power. Mm-hmm. But it's because, like, in the Western world, that's the first time. But, like, other people right. were also doing that. Exactly. Because if you think about it, like, he's literally expanding over this crazy amount of land with all these different religions. And he goes, no, no, no. You guys keep doing what you're doing. He's like, I don't give a shit if we worship the same God. Mm -hmm. He's basically like, I just want to control you. Like, (laughs) and of course, like, he is doing all these positive things for Mongolian women. But of course, like these rules of, like, not selling women into slavery, like, don't exist for other women of right. other cultures. Well, nobody's perfect. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it doesn't change the fact that he was bad to, like, a monster to the women in his own life as well. So, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm coming off, like, super pro Genghis Khan. And, like, <laughs> I'm saying, all like, know he's not even a good progressive-minded guy. people can be monsters. Sometimes we tell a story, <laughs> yeah. and it's from the perspective of not ourselves. Exactly. Um, also, I've always called him Genghis Khan, and am I a stupid American? No, 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 no. Um, so this is a recent thing. I think it was um, that historian Dan something who Rather. was like, it's actually Genghis. And oh. so I... Like, it's one of those things, like, everybody does say Genghis Khan, but then everything I listened to said Genghis, and I was like, oh my god, is that what I'm supposed to be saying? No, that's good. So, I'm going Genghis because that's, I think that's the, what people are taught to, how people are taught to pronounce it now. So, you know, I don't think it's a problem to pronounce it Genghis, but like, I also didn't want people writing in and being like, it's Jengus. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, a fun, interesting thing, though, is that some historians believe that the reason he had so much respect for Mongolian women was because his mother had to raise him and his siblings alone after his father died. Single mom vibes. Mm-hmm. Ah. So apparently back in his day, like his dad died and they're part of this nomadic tribe and they were like, uh no it's not our job to like take care of you now so like they kicked his mother out of this tribe and he was always really resentful of that fact but also he it made him really respect his mom he was like damn like she was fucking strong as hell like (laughs) racing like the next leader of the world (laughs) alone um but yeah such a just a little fun fact um (laughs) so the official start year of the mongol empire is 1206 and the reign of Genghis khan would eventually expand from korea to ukraine which I don't even want to talk about right now. Um, <laughs> I'm and so upset. Siberia to southern China. Damn. This is huge. It is still to date, I think, the largest empire to ever exist. Oh, like wow. the largest, like continuous empire. Like area wise. Area wise, okay. yeah. Um, and for a while, uh, everything was good. Um, but he did die in 1227. And his empire passed down to his descendants. And this was called the Golden Lineage. Like, it was kind of meant to be, like, this very prestigious, continuing thing that would never end. And his children 
did do that. They continued expanding his empire while keeping some key advice from their father in their mind. He told them, look, he took an arrow. He goes, a single arrow breaks super easily. But he was like, if you get a group of arrows, you can't break that with your hands. He's like, so if you stick together, you'll be unstoppable. It's the phone book mentality. <laughs> so that- no, you just can't <laughs> tear a phone book, even though the paper is super thin. I don't know. I saw those muscly Bible men do it one time. Uh- <laughs> um, but yeah, but this was like his metaphor. He's like, be like a band of arrows. He goes, you can be you know, separate, but always be together, like rule your separate regions, but like, don't fucking turn on each other because that's the strength of the Mongol empire is within you all. Um, so it worked for a while, (laughs) but when it came time for the grandchildren, they did not heed this advice as much. Well, it's different when it's not your parents. (laughs) Yeah. And basically they're like jaded rich kids at this point. Exactly. And like, at this point, like, the empire is so huge that, like, you know, there were these different areas broken up, and the grandsons are ruling each section with the title Khan. He was like, no, every individual ruler gets the title Khan, you know? Like, it's just, like, everybody's a Khan. And then they started to wonder, like, yeah, but, like, who's the biggest Khan? Like, who's, who's the, the greatest, the you know? Father. Like, who is the great Khan? And then they started to uh, try and determine that by going to war with each other. (laughs) So there's a big civil war between the grandsons. And this is the world that Kuriun is born into in the year 1260. She is the daughter of Kaidu, who was the cousin of the current Khan of the Mongolian Empire, Kublai Khan. So he's the really famous one that we all know, we all talk about. He's like the star of Marco Polo, basically, right. you know, and he's kind of in like the central part of it with this very big, elaborate court. He's you like know. the capital Khan. He's, yeah, exactly. He's the, yeah, he's like the, the New York Khan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Kaidu, Kuryun's um, dad, is basically running like West the, Virginia. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll keep the I, joke running at this point. <laughs> I would like to <laughs> say that this is more East Coast, West Coast. Oh. So think of it as Kublai Khan is running the East Coast and Kaidu is running the West Coast. So he's like a San different Fran territories. Or in LA? San Fran for sure. Okay. He doesn't like the whole pomp and circumstance of okay. Kublai Khan's totally court. San Fran. <laughs> Very San Fran. He's he is like, small. why do you have to be like this? He's like, we're losing our Mongolian heritage. Why don't you, know? you have an electric car? And <laughs> he just like doesn't understand like the frou frou nature of Kublai Khan's <laughs> court. He's like, I think that's ridiculous. And so they're kind of also fighting for like. A Mongolian persona. He's like, no, we're nomadic. We're tribesmen. Oh. And the Kublai Khan's like, I like being in this palace. Um, <laughs> well, I can't pick up and move my empire. I know. <laughs> it's like, do you see much gold around? Um, <laughs> my concubines would really struggle if I had to move all exactly. of that. <laughs> and so these cousins have been beefing for a while over this kind of title of great Khan and oh what gosh. they want the Mongolian people to be. It's a biggie Exactly. Um, But the Kublai-Kaidu War really got hot around 1268 when Kudiyun is still a young girl. Mm. 
Now, she is the only daughter among 14 sons. Oh. But she is the favorite by far. She grew up not only keeping up with her brothers and their various training and activities, but often surpassing them in skill and strength. She I bet learned, she looked like her dad. I bet she did. <laughs> <laughs> she learned hand-to-hand combat, how to shoot arrows, how to wield a sword. And then she started riding horses. I mean, most likely, most kids learned how to ride a horse at the age of two. They're on these fucking horses. Are you kidding me? I'm terrified on horses. Really? I like, I get on horses, but I'm scared because they're such big animals. Yeah, they are. They're very intimidating. It's an intimidating. And like, I'm not in charge of you. They're yeah. in charge of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about horses. Okay. Um, so, so meanwhile, like, so she's learning how to ride a horse and she's learning all these other skills and she's learning how to do all these skills on horseback which like most mongolian children did but she was like really fucking good at it oh, yeah um she was especially skilled like many mongolian people um in archery on horseback and i think this is amazing i remember my mom loves mongolian culture so she would get really into this subject in world history um and she would describe to me that like they would develop this rhythm with the horse like the reason they were so good at it was because like the horse would be galloping and every like step they would have to do it would be like when the horse had its feet up Mm. you know so like they're like pulling it out setting it up and then they're waiting for the horse. And, like, that split second when all the hooves are on the ground so they're not, like, clomping. Right. And they shoot the arrow so that that's why they're so um, accurate. It is amazing. I mean, that's what, like, to bring it to Disney. <laughs> Think about, like, Merida, like, in that opening scene where she's pulling the arrow back and it, like, slices her cheek. But she's, like, waiting for the moment where that intake of breath and the horse stops moving and you shoot the arrow. Exactly. And it's on target. That's it's, it's so much. It's so I can't even shoot an arrow standing oh, yeah. with like a target 15 feet away. Oh, yeah. Oh, she is going to be so much like Merida. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, and I want to say horses are an extremely important part of Mongolian culture. Apparently, they outnumber the population of Mongolia four to one. Yes. <laughs> there are so many horses. What an invasive species us humans yeah. are. <laughs> Uh, it's said that a Mongol without a horse is like a bird without its wings. So horses are very important, oh, which again, we'll come back. Okay. Um, soon she was a force to be reckoned with across Mongolia. So impressive that travelers coming through the area would all write about her in particular, Marco Polo. So it is like kind of shitty that like the main source we have about her was like written by like, a European coming in. A white guy. A yeah. white guy. You know, which sucks. But also, like, the Mongolians weren't, like, writing things down exactly. You know, like, they didn't keep very great detailed records. You know, yeah. again, they're moving all around. Like, that's a lot of paper to move. So. And, like, at least Marco Polo was, like, in and out of there. Yeah. Like, something I've always really thought was cool about him is that, like, he did go in and, like, live with these cultures. Yeah. And, like, really, like, give up his life to explore these places. Oh, he absolutely did. Yeah, if we did men, I would want to do an episode on him. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'll just listen maybe to Maybe on April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you want to see an episode of Marco Polo for April Fool's Day, let us know. <laughs> no, I won't. Um, Psych. That might be fun. <laughs> but Marco Polo was just so impressed with her. He was like, I can't believe how good she is on a horse and, you know, shooting these arrows. He's like, it's amazing. But he said, 
the thing that she's most good at, the thing that she is known most for around this entire empire is wrestling. So Mongolian wrestling is very specific. Basically, the rules of the game are that two people get together, they lock their arms like around each other, and basically try and push each other over. It's kind of similar to like sumo-style wrestling. Okay. Um, and if any other part of the person touches the ground, then they lose. There are no weight classes or age Ooh. restrictions <laughs> or time limits. <laughs> anyone can wrestle anyone for any amount of time. I can't handle that. So matches last a while. <laughs> Um, a fun fact about Mongolian wrestling, it still happens today and these very big festivals. And one of the rules that I thought was really cool is um, like good sportsmanship is a part of the sport. So when you down another wrestler, you offer him your hand and you help him back up, which I think is really cool. Oh, it's like, like gentlemanly, like golf. Yeah, it's, it's like. like- you don't take a fake stroke and then lie about it. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like, this is a part, like, we're doing this for more than just strength. Like, it kind of seems to me like that signals to me that it's about preserving culture. It's like, we're doing this because this is fucking Mongolian and we're keeping it alive, you know, which I like. So, Kuriyun wrestled nearly every day of her life and she was so strong that she was soon un beatable but this soon became a problem for when it was time for her to marry she decided to make a rule that she would not marry anyone who could not beat her in wrestling um and then she goes well yeah but they're gonna have to wager something too so if they lose not only do they not get my hand in marriage but they have to give me a hundred horses like a, a wrestling dowry. Yes. <laughs> it's a wager. It's a bet. Exactly. So over time, we know that at least 100 men came to wrestle the princess for her hand in marriage um, because she soon had a fleet of 10,000 horses. I don't even know what you do. How do you feed 10,000 horses? It's insane. They have to be like wild in a field. You can't I just know. like. You can't just like have Where's your them. horse stable? Where's your San Francisco horse stable? I mean, she like probably like had more horses than like her father at this point. It's insane. So she's wrestling on this man. She keeps winning. And when she's 20 years old, the son of King Pamar, um, so some kind of prince. We don't have his name, only his father's. So Prince Pamar, I guess, um, came to try his hand. He was so confident that he wagered a thousand horses. Damn. Marco Polo said he's this young, good-looking guy with this huge entourage of soldiers and servants and horses. I I mean, are you thinking the same thing I am? What are you thinking? Prince Ali, my <laughs> I imagine this guy just like rolling into town with this like huge thing, like, I'm gonna marry this fucking princess. Like yes. that's how he comes in. And because he made such a show of how coming many, into how town. How many peacocks did he have? <laughs> Can you tell me? I love the feathers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> he's got the monkey. Um, and <laughs> so because he's making this big show, everyone in the village was like, I have got to see this. And this particular wrestling match grew the largest crowd to date. And it was very exciting. 
And it wasn't just the people who were excited about this. Kuryun's parents were really impressed with him. They thought, well, <laughs> this guy will be a good match personally and politically. But Jafar <laughs> was like, we don't like him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so her parents went to Kuryun and they throw said, the can you throw the match? Oh, <laughs> no, that's your honor. They were like, please, like, you can't keep wrestling men forever because, like, you just know no one's ever going to beat you. So, like, they're like, if we have any hope of, like, you getting married, like, you're going to need to throw the match. That's what happens when you have 75 brothers. You're a good wrestler. I know. (laughs) But she refused, saying she would never lose on purpose for anything or any amount of money. So the match went on and on and on and on. They were actually matched quite evenly. What if you have wrestling. to pee? Question. What if you have to pee, pee in your pants, baby? On the mat? <laughs> no rules. There's no mats. It's only dirt. Oh, my gosh. On it's the like dirt? the sands of Mongolia. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, you just pee in your pants. No. No. <laughs> cool. It's Miles Davis. So I was thinking Adam Sandler in that movie about the school. Yeah, that's what I'm referencing. Oh, okay, you remember? Good. She <laughs> says, yeah. if pee in your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. <laughs> I wasn't all the way there yet. (laughs) Sorry. I'm making like the fourth step joke because I'm in my head about it. Right, exactly. We were were both in the same space. Don't worry. (laughs) Love the feathers. (laughs) All right, tell me about the camel. So... (laughs) So, this wrestling match is going on forever and it ends quite dramatically when she flips the prince over and he lands on his back in front of this giant crowd of people. And she says, gotcha again. Gotcha again. <laughs> <laughs> Pinchy again. <laughs> How many Disney references can we fit in one episode? <laughs> and she's kind of like, woo, got it, yeah. Right. And everyone is like, kind of disappointed they like wanted to get married the people and her parents were like kind of rooting for this guy <laughs> and not only had she defeated him but she like really embarrassed him <laughs> and he left his horses and took his boy entourage back to his hometown apparently in this like silent rage <laughs> and now people start to wonder why is the princess so hesitant to marry? Like, what the fuck is up with her? Do they think she's a man? So that was definitely, like, thrown around. Okay. Um, but the most common answer um, is that it was it was a rumor that was spread about her by her enemies um, that she didn't want to marry because she was in an ancestral relationship with her father. And this does not seem to be true at all. Um, And I think that this was kind of a combination of political enemies, maybe guys that were a little sour that they had lost to a girl. You know, this is being spread by people who are pissed and really want to hurt not just her, but her family. And this was a very damaging rumor to the family. Um, Like, her dad is really embarrassed. She's really embarrassed. Like, this is not good um 
some modern scholars wonder if she had some sort of queer identity. Maybe she was a lesbian or maybe she was asexual and just like wasn't interested in getting married. But of course, we'll never really know. And it's not prudent of us to label people of the past, especially someone we know so little about. Um, but according to a Persian statesman named Rashid al-Din, Kuryun was simply fighting so hard to remain unmarried to all these men because she was in love with someone else, a man named Ghazan, who was a leader of the Iranian region of the Mongol Empire, and he was also a cousin of hers. And for some reason or another, according to this account, their union was forbidden, and I think this is also kind of a part of, like, the father-daughter situation because apparently, like, Cousins was even a little too close for Mongol Empire. Like, they were like, that's too close. So it's not like a West Side Story sitch. No, no, no. It's like, so they were like, no, they're cousins. We don't like that. So we think that's the reason it was forbidden. Oh, fuck. The Um, British love that shit. Yeah, they did. They were like, (laughs) only your cousins. (laughs) Marry your Um, brother. Exactly. (laughs) That's it. Um... Or, like, I mean, I also just think that they were close and people thought that they were, like, into each other. But I just don't think that there was ever anything there. Like, maybe they were just friends. Yeah. Like, and, got along. And it's interesting because on Wikipedia, he's listed as her husband on her Wikipedia page. But according to most sources, she never married. And it's very well sourced that he had this big marriage to a woman named Kokachin, known as the Blue Princess, who is in Marco Polo. Her and Marco Polo have like an affair. Right. So then it's just that people need to strap her to a man. Yes. Okay. It makes me actually a little upset that he's listed as her husband on her Wikipedia page when like, we know that they never fucking married. Charles. Charles. (laughs) Change it. Um, So yeah, I don't believe that. Um, but others say that in order to stop all these incest rumors and save her family's reputation, she got rid of the wrestling rule and just married this guy named Abdakul. Um, it, there's a couple different, again, this is where we get into like the he says, she says, whatever of history, where like some people are like, oh, it was a man who tried to assassinate her father and then they fell in love <laughs> or whatever. And then other people say that he was just a, person in the military or part of the royal entourage we don't know but even if it is true that she married this guy it was probably just a marriage on paper because her public life really didn't change Mm. she still chose to focus her life on her stellar military career which again points to her remaining single because she probably wouldn't have been able to like lead this high-ranking military life if she was married so we said before that she was her father's favorite and we know this because she was a keen military and political advisor to him he favored her advice more than any other person and they would develop like battle strategies together and they came up with this really interesting plan so Again, since she was a much lighter uh, person than the male riders and she was more skilled than a lot of them, she could ride and maneuver her horse more quickly than anybody else. Like she was like a demon on the battlefield on her horse. So they would ride into battle together and she would start alongside her father. And then she would quickly race towards the enemy line and just like pick up a soldier with one hand and carry him back to her father. Like, 
And it was before anyone could even get close to each other. So it was like really scary for them. And people said that it was like a hawk swooping down and like catching another bird or a fish or whatever in its talons. Oh, interesting. And I wonder if she would like do it on the flanks and like, or was it directly in the middle? Oh, she would charge (laughs) right at them. That's insane. Don't they have bows and arrows? Yeah. yeah. What? Why isn't she getting hit? I don't know. I don't know. Amazing. It's like, but it said that she did this over and over and over again. Like, this was her move. Oh, yeah. And I think it's because she was just so fast. Like She's she was, agile. Yeah, she is. She's a lot more agile than the other people because their ta- their tactic is brute strength. Right. And hers is agility. And she's got like a million horses to pick from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's just, it's, I love the image of her as this hawk on the battlefield because no other battalion had this particular strategy. Hmm. And they were really fucking scared of her. <laughs> I like that. She was so good, so strong, so smart that she was the only woman to be awarded the highest military honor in Mongolia, the Silver Medallion. This is meant for men, and she's the only woman in all of history who has ever gotten this. It's very cool. Um, And she was not just her father's right-hand woman, but he also had her lead whole battalions of her own. And the men who followed her respected her because she was good at what she did. And they also knew that she could beat the shit out of them. (laughs) So (laughs) together, she and her father successfully defended their region of Mongolia for many, many years against all sorts of enemies, but especially against the efforts by Kublai Khan to take over their land. Okay. Some accounts say that during the time that, you know, him and Kodun were fighting side by side, he was the most powerful leader of Central Asia, even though we talk about Kublai Khan much more often. He was more dramatic. He was. (laughs) (laughs) Kaidu believed in his daughter so much that in the year 1301, when he was dying after a devastating battle injury, he declared that he wanted Kudyun to be the next Khan, which is very bold considering the fact that he had 14 sons <laughs> from whom he was expected to choose from. And even though they were in a much more progressive state with concern to women's rights, and she was already like this famed military leader, a female Khan was just kind of a bridge too far for a lot of people. Um, So after he died in February of 1301, a son did take his place. Um, And I don't know what the exact situation was, but we do know that someone, uh, an enemy, told Kuryun that she should not be Khan, that she should, quote, mind her scissors and needles. Which, like, that line is like, oh my god, like... (laughs) Like I'll fucking oh. stab you with my scissors and needles, Jesus Christ! I'll c- come to me on the on the wrestling mat. Yeah, field. really <laughs> on the mat. Find your scissors and needles. I'll bring them with me. Um, <laughs> but there's a theory out there that even though there are probably some people against her being con, maybe she chose not to be con. Um, she was really smart and she was really tactical, so I can imagine that she knew it might damage the reputation of the region to have a female con. So I would totally believe a situation where she was like, you know what? I'm really happy leading the military. I don't have to put like the politics of our region in jeopardy. 
by taking this when like a guy can do it. You know, just let one of my brothers do it. It's fine. I'm really in power because I'm controlling the military. And he's like the puppet. He's the puppet. Exactly. Smart, smart, smart. Um, But then just a few years later in 1306, she dies around the age of 46. We're not sure if she died in battle or if she was assassinated, but with a life like hers, anything is possible. Mm. She leaves behind a legacy of just the incredible strength and resilience of Mongolian women, which you can still see today. Videos of these women training hawks because, like, they would train hawks to send messages. I don't oh, even yeah. know how that's possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're shooting arrows on horsebacks and on horseback. And you can see women today still living their life the way she did. It's so fucking cool. Um, and of course, her life is depicted in a few different things. She was played by the lovely Claudia Kim in the Netflix show Marco Polo. Uh, there was a 2021 film made about her starring uh, Sedu Mukbat. Um, I don't know what country produced this film, but I did watch the trailer, but it was not in English. Um, <laughs> but she looked cool as well. Yeah, she did. But before all of this, there was a famous book of Asian tales and fables written by a Frenchman named Francois Petit de la Croix. And there was a story in it about a princess named Turandot, who was based off of Kudyun. But instead of Mongolian, she's Chinese. And instead of wrestling men for her hand in marriage, she asks them three riddles. And if they get them wrong, instead of giving her horses, they just die. This story was eventually made into a very famous Italian opera, um, started by Puccini, and then he died, and then somebody else finished it. Um, but it's chock full of Orientalism and appropriation and yellow face. And just this opera and this story are full of a lot of issues. And one of the things I really hate about it is that they took this woman who was smart and physically strong and they turned her into this like mischievous trickster playing into the stereotypes that have plagued Asian women for centuries, right. you know? Yeah. And I just hate, I'm, like, I'm glad that she doesn't share a name with her. So like most people probably don't know that Turandot is based off of Kudyun, you know? And I right. think that's fine. I mean, it doesn't, it's still not good that there's this negative stereotype of Asian women out there. Um, but it just, it makes me really upset because we know that Kudyun, Kudyun is so much more than that. And I want to end on one of the lasting impacts of her legacy, which can currently be seen in what wrestlers in Mongolia wear. So they wear a wrestling jacket called a Zodog, uh, which is a jacket that covers the arms and the back, but is open in the front. And according to some sources, the point of exposing the chest is to prove that your opponent is male and not the undefeated Princess Kudyun. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so fun! I didn't know Yeah, that. and they still wear these jackets. It's so cool. Like Aladdin. Yeah, so <laughs> that's the story of the famous 
Princess Kudiyun of Mongolia. Well, I mean, I don't think this could have gone better this evening. Um, what a great tale. So fun. We've been doing a lot of royal people this whole season. I think we just, when we were told to pick on our own, we don't have any judge of what the other person's going to do. And we're like, okay, Mm-mm. let me do a first lady. Let me do yep. somebody that's like this. Like, like, we're going, we're ticking off our mark. Oh, we totally are. But it's really fun. And I think they pair really well together. I think they pair much better than I would have expected. So do you want to talk about these women together? And a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. Can we start with like just two infamous families? Like, oh my the god. The cons, like when you said you were doing somebody from Mongolia, I wrote that down before you even started your story. I was like, if she's a princess in Mongolia in any time period, she has to be related to like this family. Exactly. And it's also families like we're in the part like the Tudor era wasn't exactly like the, you know, expansion that we later see, but these are two of the biggest empires to ever exist you know not many (laughs) countries have the legacy of empires and we're talking about literally the two most famous ones the english the british and the mongolian right and i just one thing i loved that was so different was the sexualization of women like i think in this tudor era in england you have this very like virginal idea of women you can either be a virgin queen or you can be a mistress or you can be a wife whereas it just seems like in this mongolian culture they haven't stigmatized sex in the same way no where they're like okay men and women are all getting married and then also having extramarital affairs Mm -hmm. Because, like, everybody kind of deserves a positive love life. Now, that's not necessarily good for sexual health <laughs> because we don't have, like, testing. Right, 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 right. But, like, it is, like, the, the positive sexual vibes that I think a lot of the Western world deals with, like, feeling negativity about sex or, like, shameful about yes. sex is something that not everybody has to feel. No, absolutely. And I kind of feel like... Even though, like, the Mongolian culture did feel a lot differently about female sex, like, there was still this problem of what to do with a single daughter. Right, like a gender. A gender daughter. there is still a gender daughter problem, you know, of, like, I have a daughter, she is a princess, and she's not married. And you have these two fathers who are kind of split on tradition of, like, do I want her to be the queen? Do I want her to be the con? Or do I want her to be a wife? Like, it sucks that, like, even though they have such radically different views on sexual behavior for everybody else, for My their daughter, daughter <laughs> it's still an issue. And yet they, it's almost like they both saw their daughters as above other women. Oh, they totally did, yeah. And yet we're not like ready culturally or emotionally to take that step to like be a a male sponsor. They were like, I support you and I'm going to put it in my will when I die, but I'm not going to fight for it while I'm alive. Exactly. Cause you had kind of these two guys like with their last dying breath being like, this is the next leader. And then (laughs) you would be like, uh, (laughs) but we have to deal with the reality of that. You know, terrifying. We have to deal with the optics of female rule, which right. I think both of these cultures dealt with in regards to these women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
I think that because Mary was raised from such a young age with the idea that like you're going to rule and we are going to make you the most educated person on the planet so you can do this. I think that that just like got in her head and she was like, yeah, so that's my only option, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that she kind of always had that even when she was like, okay, Edward's here. He's going to be king, like whatever. I still think it was the, in the back of her head that she was going to rule. Yo, she was 30 and he was nine. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, obviously everybody's going to get fed up with him. Like, we're not dummies. No, absolutely not. But I also thought it was cool, like, this people versus nature thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think that in England, there is this very, like, cityscape of, like, yeah. I am a person with people. Mm-hmm. And we have castles and we have jewels. And, like, I think Mongolia is very, like, we are nomadic. We have horses. We do these things. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think she could weave more deeply into the culture being, like, I can formally be as strong as you and as connected with nature. I can control these horses because mm-hmm. that's what makes me powerful. A horse is a fucking big a- – I just said that earlier. A horse <laughs> – is a big fucking animal and if you are a good horse trainer mm-hmm. and you can wield weapons mm-hmm. then you are just as strong as any man in your life yeah exactly and i also i think it's cool that they're both very coveted brides like you know mm-hmm. we're talking about like the shittiness of their situation that like right. but it's also interesting that they have all of these men literally like throwing themselves at them you know and like It would be a good thing to marry one of these women strategically. And I think personally, you know, like I think they're both very cool. Um, But I think the other thing is that like, you know, I think Kudun could kind of escape some of the pressure that Mary was under. Yeah. You know, I think that the mental health struggles that Mary had later in life and the fandom pregnancies and stuff were all due to like, her being in a fucking pressure cooker for her whole life. And Kudun just, like, didn't have that. And I think, too, if we were, if we were to speculate, mm-hmm. Mary, I think, was a hopeless romantic. Yeah. Like, she did want to get married. Yeah. She did, like, several times be like, I want to meet this boy. Yeah. I like Anne of Cleve's cousin. I like this son in Spain. And it doesn't seem like Kudun had those same emotions. So like that can just be a difference in how you handle romantic relationships. It can be a cultural difference. It can be a sexuality difference. And we just don't know enough to say what it was. No, no, we don't. But I know that they certainly paved the path for women after them. Exactly. Both of them. Both of them. Like there are still women today doing the shit that Kudian did. And I think that that's amazing. And my favorite part of Mary's story is that they said she had her fucking pen above the paper and didn't sign it to kill Elizabeth, Elizabeth. because I think she was like, this is important for women and I'm not going to fucking do that. I'm, And it's really sad that her last act as Bloody Mary was an act of mercy that we still benefit from today. I mean, Elizabeth the first was a merciful 
and amazing queen. I mean, she killed people like any mm -hmm. king or queen, but she's the one that met with Grace O'Malley. Yeah. Like she's the one who like we talk so much of it. There are portraits of her all mm -hmm. over England and all over museums in the United States where it's like this woman is the virgin queen like virginia is named after yeah. her. literal <laughs> two states in the united states are named after her yeah because she was that inspirational and then that also draws me to like i do get sad sometimes that i know so much about western culture and so little about eastern culture yeah. just because of colonialization and it's like yeah. i don't even get the opportunity yeah. to learn about like the you know mongolian empire because even if it is written into curriculums, like, yeah. what do we spend, a unit? Yeah. I don't have yeah. time to delve into, like, no. who are your bad girls? Who right. are your good girls? <laughs> like, tell me about your girl. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I didn't mention this, but, like, I forgot to say the reason I put beef jerky on my fucking cocktail yeah. was that because one of the things my mom taught us is, like, one of the reasons the Mongolian army was so effective was that they had all these methods for, like, food and stuff and food preservation, and they would, like, put pieces of beef under their horse's saddle and cure it under their on their literally on their horses like they'd right. make beef jerky yeah. under their saddles because like the salt from like the horse's sweat would cure it yeah while they were riding for long periods of time so i forgot to mention that but i just wanted that to say fun. it here because i always thought that was so interesting because they are thinking if we're going to be effective in battle, we need to be nourished and well we need fed. to have food and well fed. And like, so like, let's develop these techniques mm. that can keep us that way. And I don't know. So that I forgot to say it, but that's why I put beef jerky on my cocktail. Yeah, but I, <laughs> And I think like a good, I know we don't know this about her, but like, we know that Mary and Elizabeth were married next to each other because like being buried. Buried, yeah, buried next to each other. I don't know. Not where. married. They definitely weren't married. But they were buried next to each other because, like, positive female relationships. Yeah. Like, even if Mary didn't feel it, Elizabeth did. Mm -hmm. And that is, like, the next generation of women being, like, my mom was killed and I had no one. I had a series of stepmoms just like you and you kept me alive and fought to keep me in court even though you rightfully should have hated me. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful thing i love seeing that is like strong girls support girls like yeah. i think mary was like such a forefront of like i need to make sure this little girl yeah. stays alive i don't agree with her religiously i hated her yes. mother i hated all of these things but i want her to survive yeah that's so i just like i got chills when i read that they i've been to westminster abbey <laughs> and i've seen that statue and i had no idea that what bloody mary yeah. was next to it yeah. i know elizabeth was there right right but it's not like bloody mary's not a part of that and i feel like that's a lot of what's happening with eastern culture is like there are these positive female stories but we don't see them no no we don't so i don't know it's beautiful it is beautiful hmm. <laughs> are you ready to toast i am ali who would you like to toast this evening i want to toast uh, uh, the legacy that everybody has that they don't want and the one that they deserve but they don't get. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. I am going to toast the women who are too cool to not make it into the history books. <laughs> 
men have routinely left women out of history. And I think this is a, that it's just incredible that there's this one epic female warrior wrestler who we know existed because like everyone who traveled through the region fucking wrote about her. <laughs> and it means that she must have been pretty impressive because again, she would have been left out if she wasn't. So yes. <laughs> cheers to her. Cheers. Mm. Okay, so ready for promo? I am. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay, so I watched with my daughters for the first time ever Miss Congeniality. <sighs> so I've seen so it multiple good. times. But I just love it. And I think we were just talking about girls supporting girls. And I think it is such a cool movie, especially for the early 2000s in its feminist vibes. Because, like, and this is only some examples, but, like, A, it's about a strong girl that is, like, girly girls aren't real cool. And then by the end, she's like, no, girly girls are just very cool. Yeah. Which I think is a cool connection. And then there's, like, that wonderful scene where, like, FBI boy doesn't know how to, like, lead his thing. She just, like, maybe we should blah, blah, blah. And then he keeps repeating what she says. And it's just, like... (laughs) These are her ideas, and you're repeating them, but they do it so subtly. Yeah. It's amazing. And then, okay, my favorite part. <laughs> you know, the girl is like, my favorite date is April, blah, blah, blah. When she makes it to the final five, and I don't think I noticed it till this rewatch, she's walking up, and they, you know they're like, so-and-so likes to do this and this on the weekends, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. They're like, so-and-so is studying nuclear fission at blah, blah. And they, like, list all of her fucking amazing credentials that like, Oh my God. William Shatner in the background is reading her credentials and I'm there with sister and the girls. And I was like, have you noticed that before? And she was like, yeah, that's my favorite part. And I was like, I had no idea that they list that she's a fucking Ivy league genius. I haven't seen that movie in so long. I need to rewatch it. The, the (laughs) feminist vibes are so Good, especially for early 2000s, because I expected there to be, like, a lot of um, eating disorder jokes Mm -hmm. and, like, a lot of, like, you know, fat women jokes. But it just was, like, they did a great job. And I I forgot how good it was. Good job, Sandy Bullock. (laughs) Sam. Love you. (laughs) Oh, my God. Speed away. (laughs) Okay. What are you liking about Bob Um, So I am going to recommend the show Superstore. I know I've talked about it before. It is so good. It is so good. It's really good. And we finished it last night. And oh, I, I haven't seen that. was bawling. <gasps> and I love it because then I, of course, like I'm good a, finale. Very okay. good finale. Okay. And I'm a That's lunatic. Hard. And I <laughs> love to like Google the finale of shows and ahead be like this. No, not ahead of time. Actually, oh, after I Googled it after to be like, do people agree with me that this was great? Okay. <laughs> so I Googled it. And I saw this article that was like how Superstore did the perfect ending. And one of the things I saw was like they were renewed for another season and like they were supposed to have another extra season. They're like their seasons are usually like 20 something episodes long. And that was why it was like episode 15. And I was like, well, this can't be the end. And then it was because they were like, this is the natural end, and we didn't feel like we needed to stretch it on just for how other British of them. Sake. How British yes, of them. How British. <laughs> Thank um, you. It was so good, and I really loved it. And like the whole, the show as a whole, like someone described it on a podcast I was listening to the other day. They were like, it shows the beauty of like these people, like 
they live small lives like and they are fine with it like no one in the show is like the standout of like yeah I'm working at the superstore but I really want to be a fashion designer and like you constantly see them like defending their shitty job at a big box store and and I was like that's very true like these people are very normal they're very weird they're very funny and I do think it's lovely that like yeah it's fine to not have crazy big dreams of like being outside of, of your hometown yeah of grandeur and I just I really loved the show and I think it ended on such a lovely note and yeah it was great so now that I've seen the whole series I'm gonna really officially recommend Good. it and there are definitely times where I was laughing out loud which Good. is a I'm, lot, so. I mean, day-to-day <laughs> life is so important. Like, I shared yeah. that quote this week on my story on Instagram, my personal story on Instagram, that was like, don't wait until life's not hard to be happy. Oh, That's my gosh. fucking it's dumb. Such... You can't do that. You can't Life do that. is hard. You can't be like, once this week's over, I'll be okay. I, I always think of, and this is so cheesy, but, like, in the last season of Sex and the City, when, you know, at, Carrie's having her problems with Alexander Petrovsky, mm. and the ex-wife is like, Oh, he said as soon as he always says that as mm. soon as as soon as as soon as and you can't wait for as soon as this is done as soon as this project is finished as soon as this as soon as that no, your life is your life you're living it your life is your life and like yeah yeah be not, a superstar employee and like a, it that's what you want and it's wonderful so right. yeah don't wait to live your life oh as soon as something is over <laughs> positive note i'm we feeling like, really good we're going to tomorrow everyone <laughs> we're like so cool okay find well, us everywhere please do we already <laughs> talked about patron at the beginning so we're so good um women's history month is upon oh, us it's gonna be so good and we're gonna come up with an amazing present to send you guys don't know what it is <laughs> gonna figure gonna it out awesome gonna figure it out it'll be fine um, yeah, and if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that is the best way to show support. It literally just makes my whole day better when I see that we have been upped one review. Right. <laughs> Keep calm and rate and review us. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but mostly, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women... Don't go on military conquest. <laughs> they never make history. Rarely make... Rarely. Rarely. rarely, rarely. Make history. Right. <laughs> Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye